This is election day, partner, and oh. the bar is closed. It's the law. Who made this law? The people voted for it. That's carrying democracy too far. Welcome to another edition of the New Hampshire Journal podcast. I am Michael Graham, managing editor of nhjournal.com, where I know you are going every day for the latest Grand Estate news, or you've signed up for our newsletter. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter as well. Uh, this is a special food and booze edition of the New Hampshire Journal politics uh, uh, newsletter in time for you know winter break. So there's you know kind of a different kind of crowd. And plus, because Governor Chris Sununu made big booze news, and he joined us on Saturday to talk about his big announcement. Governor, welcome to the podcast. You made an announcement on Saturday that has some of us, particularly the hardcore drinkers in the crowd, kind of nervous. Uh, what did you announce? Well, we're taking all Russian products, whether they're branded or, or made in Russia, we're taking all of them off of our state liquor stores. As you know, with New Hampshire runs all the, the liquor stores here in the state. Uh, we sell all the product uh, back through into the grocery stores and, and that's all coming off. And it's, uh, it's a little bit symbolic and uh, a little bit financial uh, in terms of, I think, what we can do to kind of stand with uh, the folks in Ukraine who are, who are being, you know, thrown into a war that they didn't ask for. You know, Governor, we uh, live in a world where a lot of bad things happen uh, all over the globe, and there's only so much we can do about it. And this is an unusual effort, to say the least. What is it about the Ukrainian situation that touched you and inspired you to step up and take action? Oh, I, th I think it's touched everybody. I mean, people are seeing what's happening in real time. The Ukrainians didn't ask for this war. It's completely unprovoked. And it's really driven by one individual. I, I, there's even a question how much the Russian people support this. So, um, you know, it's really important that, that you, know, you know, when you see kind of overwhelming troops come into Ukraine, they're trying their best to push back on them. People are sacrificing and giving their lives. And it's just, I think, important that folks know that even just here in New Hampshire, in the, the little old Granite State, we are paying attention and, and we are seeing those atrocities and we do stand united with folks uh, who have to bear the brunt of that. So even if it's just our little party, it, we, we want people to know that it, it can make a difference to stand up. And it's not just a little party. A national organization ranks New Hampshire as the number one state for per capita alcohol consumption, 4.7 gallons a year, which actually means that somebody out there is not drinking at all because I'm, I'm killing twice that much at least. So, somehow I knew you were going to have that piece of data at your fingertips, Michael. <laughs> well, it's true that I am a W.C. Fields Republican. You know, uh, he uh, said when he found out that a town banned alcohol sales on Election Day because of the will of the voters, he said, that's taking democracy too far. Uh, but it is interesting that New Hampshire has a fairly unusual uh, relationship between the state and alcohol sales that lets you step up and take an action like this. And it also let you took, take an action regarding COVID uh, through the liquor stores. That was a little bit unusual. Well, just tell everybody what you did with rapid testing here in New Hampshire. Yeah. So again, we, because we have a retail outlet venue all across the state, we're able to, again, be the first state to fill a gap a little bit. We found a lot of folks were trying to get their COVID tests at the liquor at, at uh, Walmart or Target or CVS, and maybe they were out, but, uh, we bought a million tests. We put them right into our liquor stores. As you know, we did two rounds of free tests. The federal, we got our tests out in about two or three days. Federal government got theirs out in about 35. Um, and then, you know, we're trying to just find a way to fill the gap. So whether if you didn't get the free tests, you can at least still get one off the shelves at the liquor store and just make them very available. So our liquor retail outlets are phenomenal. They're they're very welcoming. They're, they're pleasant places to be. They're great storefronts. 
and uh, they get a lot of business, a lot of traffic, as you pointed out. And so we can use them in a variety of ways. And, in, and today we're kind of using them, and I think in a very symbolic way to say that we stand with the folks in the Ukraine. One more question for you, because you thought about running for U.S. Senate. There's some talk that one day you might want to be president of the United States. What do you think America's posture should be towards Russia and its actions in Ukraine? If you were in Washington today as a U.S. senator in some other capacity, what would your advice be? Well, look, I think we just have to be absolutely unwavering, absolutely unwavering, stand firm. I, I, I support President Biden's efforts on the sanctions. Um, if there's a way to go even further with that, I think we should. Any type of pressure we can put uh, on Russia, and there are a variety of ways to do that, we have to do it. So um, it's not a time for politics. It's just a time for understanding that in America, you know, we fought for our freedom. We have the more freedom here than anywhere else. And anything we can do to support that kind of freedom across the world, we just ha- we have to be a part of it. We can't be isolationists. Uh, we do have that responsibility, I think. And uh, and there's a variety of ways to do it. And, and hopefully there some real bearing comes to that uh, over the course of the next few days and the few weeks, uh, and, and maybe even enough to, to push Russia back out of Ukraine, push those Russians back to Moscow where they belong, you know? <laughs> yes, where they can drink the vodka that we're banning, because let's face it, vodka stinks. It's a lousy alcohol. You should drink good American brown liquors, or even better, fine Irish liquors because governor you can ban anything you want as long as you don't touch my Bushmills Irish whiskey well <laughs> no no plans on that just yet no plans on that. <laughs> well I'll try to keep the Irish under control governor but it's not an easy task I'll tell you can imagine and now to bemoan the disappearance of hundreds of gallons of local hooch my good friend Drew Klein, uh, chief uh, cook and bottle washer at the Josiah Bartlett Center for Public Policy. So, uh, what do you think of Sununu pulling the Russian hooch off the shelves? So I don't, <clears throat> I don't have a lot of uh, info on exactly the details of how this works. So, I have a couple of thoughts. One is uh, I have no problem with you know sort of trying to help, um, trying to prevent New Hampshire from funding Russia and Russian right. interests by doing this. There are a couple of questions though that first pop to mind. Um, have, have we already purchased this booth? Does it belong to the state of New Hampshire? Yes, it does. Or is it just, okay. In which case, I'm, my assumption is um, it is taken off the shelves and put back in storage until all this is over. Right? So we're not going to dump it out and, and you know spin that. We're not going to burn our Kaepernick jerseys that we've exactly. already paid for, right? Um, <clears throat> so I think that's fine. I don't really have a problem with it as long as we're not dumping it and throwing it out. Sure. Uh, who knows? One thought that I've heard, one thing that Sununu mentioned in a TV interview, it might mm-hmm. get turned into hand sanitizer because you know, that's what they were <laughs> doing during the emergency. So there's there's always that. I just wanted to throw that yeah. in there. So, like, I, I mean, you know, people are going to do, you know, look, right. I think everybody is, um, with the exception of a couple of kooks and crazies and evil doers, <laughs> um, everybody's supporting Ukraine and doing whatever they can. And look, it's a gesture. It's not going to make a lot of difference right. but it's a good gesture and mm-hmm. um you know to the extent that we can keep a, a little bit of money from going back there because here's the thing people are saying well we already own it yes but if we sell it then we buy more right so um it's just taking that sort of conduit of, of cash off sure. the shelf for a while and you can't and say you can't say leave it to the private sector because new hampshire doesn't have a private sector booze system right. now i that's and, what i would do is i would you know sure. end the and you and i think assume we agree on that but we don't so here's where we are i want to <laughs> move on oh, do you have something else on this no it's just uh you know the reason it's, just, it's important for people to understand that the reason we have that it's a look it's a legacy of um prohibition etc cetera, etc cetera. Right. but the reason new hampshire has kept its state 
booze monopoly is because it brings in a gargantuan amount of revenue <laughs> to to offset the revenue that we don't get from um, not having an income tax. So it, it's a trade-off. We, we're doing this so you know it helps to not have an income tax, right? That's that's the whole point of having right. it continue like this. All right, now, now let's cut to the parts that really matter. First things first, vodka sucks. So if you're drinking vodka, whether it's made in Russia or whether it's the premium vodka, which is by the way, made in Poland and not in Russia, or whether you're buying American made vodka, stop drinking vodka if you're over the eight, if you're old enough to shave because vodka is for girls and little boys. So don't drink vodka. So that's step number one. I think we should have a campaign to drink um, American brown liquor. And Absolutely. Uh, well, let's, let's, let's not get mm-hmm. carried away now. We do have fine, <laughs> we do have fine allies across the West. For example, <laughs> those, right. brave, uh, those brave, those brave Irishmen. Irishmen. <laughs> exactly. Those particularly in Northern Ireland, where they've had to be extra brave by remaining simultaneously Irish and Protestant. And so, uh, you know, if you want to drink true, the truly greatest freedom hooch is Bushmills Irish whiskey, because it's not just Irish who've had to put up with oppression for years, but it's the Northern Irish. So they had, you know, you could argue oppression from both sides. So Bushmills Irish whiskey, that's my, my go-to, but you're absolutely right about Brown hooch, by the way, a quick plug. You introduced me to a whiskey that was really good. Not long ago, uh, West mm. something out wet. Yeah. Hi- High West Prairie bourbon from Utah, Utah, Utah. Making great bourbon. Yeah. It's really well, that, good. Well, that's actually the perfect segue to the second thing I want to talk about, which is generally speaking, <clears throat> when governments regulate booze and food, they don't do a great job. They tend to make things worse, yeah. not better. Now I'm talking about like health, inspections and stuff, which even yeah, that sure. you could, I mean, libertarians, have even that thing is screw up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and it creates corruption. You know, it's a notorious thing. And also mm-hmm. let's face it. Uh, you, you could, if you didn't have the government doing it, there would be a private sector system similar to the kosher system. You know, kosher food yeah. isn't declared kosher by the government. There are private companies that people sign on to and they pay a fee, a licensing fee, and the mm-hmm. company comes in and inspect. So even even the food inspections, you don't have to have the public sector do it. The private sector could do it probably too. But I want to rate. You mentioned Utah, so it it brings up the danger of booze regulation. I grew up in mm. South Carolina, and this is absolutely true. When I was growing up in South Carolina, it was illegal to buy liquor by the drink. Now you're thinking, well, wait a minute, all those mm. golf courses, all that tourism, what do you do? Well. For years, you know, before my time, they were a dry state, theoretically, and you, know, you could buy beer and you could buy booze by the bottle. They had a state system, the state dispensary. And so you mm-hmm. could buy your, you know, your bottle of booze. But if you went to a restaurant to have dinner, you couldn't have a, you know, a gin and tonic. It was not, it, it was technically illegal. And so the compromise worked out. I think it was in 1978. They went to the Baptists and you know, the restaurant businesses and the and tourism and the governor went to the Baptists and say, look, we get it. You don't want people buying mixed drinks, liquor by the drinks. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to sell them the bottle. We're just going to sell them mm-hmm. the mini bottle, you know, like on an airplane, you know, those little mm-hmm. mini bottles. So if you, so you, you're in, you're in, you know, Manchester, you're going to South Carolina to play golf at Myrtle beach. You go in and you order a whiskey, you know, and water, whatever they bring you the glass. It's got the water, the ice, and then a little airplane. Basically, South Carolina was the world's largest airplane when it came to alcohol. And you'd have to mix your own drink. Well, this was idiotic. I mean, like, think about drinks have multiple boozes in them. You know, how do you do a Manhattan? You know, how do you do, you know, oh, my God, Long Island iced tea. You had to buy every bottle. It cost you like 50 bucks, you know. But that was their 
so-called solution as opposed to just letting grown-ass adults buy the booze that they wanted. Well, we, we I, have I, a solution let me just like my, my point is, that's always been a, a cautionary tale to me yeah. that I get all the forces, you know, alcoholism is bad and, you know, values and voters have a right. Look, if the people of South Carolina don't want to have liquor, they have the right to pass that law. But man, the outcome was finally, I think it was in fact, like in the 21st century, I think that South Carolina finally said, okay, okay, okay. We'll let you sell mixed drinks. So that's the story I want to add to this booze tale. Well, just to riff on that. I mean, New Hampshire, remember a few years ago, the whole four loco um, insanity and, and people were all these public health people. We can't sell, you can't sell alcohol mixed with caffeine. That's just because mm-hmm. people will drive and it'll stimulate them. And they'll drive drunk and that's mm-hmm. a terrible thing. So we got um, <clears throat> all these drinks that were alcohol mixed with caffeine pulled from the state liquor stores. And so what do you have now? Well, you can buy a nip and you can buy in the state <laughs> liquor stores, a Red Bull. And you know, we're, just, we're making people go home and mix it themselves. And there are, there's actually a campaign um, from some, you know, uh, groups that are concerned about alcoholism to right. pull Red Bull and caffeinated drinks from the state liquor stores <laughs> because they're afraid people are going to sit in their car in the parking lot and mix it and then go to right. I mean, you can't control this stuff, but this is just how, how, how this stuff. It, gets, it is also, away with it. it is also a blow against the most perfect food ever invented, which is Irish whiskey. Because it has all four necessary food groups in one glass, alcohol, caffeine, sugar, and fat. They're all there. I thought you were going to say rum balls. No, no, no. Rum balls don't have everything. Yeah, but bourbon but, balls have chocolate in them. Yeah, so. but Irish whiskey has it all. It has, like I said, it's mm. sugar, fat, uh, caffeine, and booze. So it's all right there. So speaking of food, New mm, Hampshire yes. is trying to do some regulations regarding food trucks and how people enjoy their meals well so one of my pet peeves is um as we talk about on this podcast a lot just how regulations shape your community and shape your culture in ways that you don't necessarily see or understand and then people complain about not having certain things or their community being a certain way and um you know why can't we have this and they'll point to developers or or capitalism or you know profits and you know why do we have to commute you know, half an hour to work. Well, it's because of your zoning laws in your town that don't allow you to put housing anywhere close to retail or commercial space. Um, why? And, and this is a big complaint lately in the last few years. Well, why aren't there any food trucks? You know, we, we have um, 175 roughly food trucks in the state of New Hampshire. It's very hard to find a food truck if you go to Portsmouth, if you go to Concord, if you go to Manchester, um, Salem. So these cities that you would think have enough population and um, can easily support a, a great deal of food trucks, you can't find a food truck in downtown Manchester most of the time. Oh. And so the reason is not because of capitalism. The reason is because your local governments regulate food trucks so heavily that it's cost prohibitive to do it. And one of the ways they do this, um, <clears throat> it's two layers. The first is health regulation. So you have to have a license, usually from the local health department to inspect your food truck. And that's understandable. And then there are different regulations governing where and when you can park or drive your food truck to certain places. So um, every community essentially bans food trucks from residential neighborhoods, except um, with some exceptions for um, ice cream trucks. Um, <clears throat> but all the other regulations are so um, so problematic or so, so thick that it's very hard to find a place to put your food truck. So in a lot of towns, you cannot park a food truck 
out front on a street within a certain distance of an established restaurant because the restaurants got the local communities, uh, got the governments to write this regulation to prevent competition. So that's out. Uh, in some places, you can only park at a public park. <laughs> um, in some places, you can't park in certain public parks. In right. Manchester, they had a regulation that says you cannot park two food trucks of the same type in the same public park. So if you- what? Um, Yeah, yeah, that's Man Manchester says you can't park two ice cream trucks at Dairyfield Park in the summer. If one ice cream truck um, gets permission to park there, they will not allow any other ice cream truck to park there. So you can see why New Hampshire, Manchester now has not a single licensed ice cream truck because these rules are so insane. So a legislator had a bill, House Bill 1595, to create a statewide food truck license. There are 15 municipalities in the state that license food trucks with these health and safety licenses right. on top of the local um, place license, uh, uh, restrictions. So this bill would just, just say, look, we'll take the health and safety license and make it a state license from the state health department. And that way you get this one license, then you're licensed to take your food truck anywhere in the state. You can just one place, one stop shop, boom, simple fee, you're done. It's like $250, $225 fee. Um, this bill got ITL'd from the Commerce Committee. They, they're going to, they voted to kill it. Uh, and, yeah, exactly. You have to explain ITL. To so ITL means in, inexpedient to legislate, which means in I, New Hampshire, I, the committees can't um, kill bills, but they recommend to the full legislature what to do with it. And they recommended to kill this bill. And one on of the behalf of the why, listeners, by the way, I just want to yeah. say, I agree with you. I inexpedient to legislate is like one of the weirdest freaky. It's, it took me months term. to figure out what the hell is going on in Concord when I first came up here. So yeah, I know. Anyway, so go ahead. It's weird. But anyway, so they, they, they voted to kill this bill um, for multiple reasons. One is that the municipalities said, well, we get um, the reason they really oppose it. And they say well, health and safety, but of course the health and safety will be handled at the state level. What they really object to is they want the license fees. They want the revenue. The local municipalities objected to this because they want the revenue. And in committee, there were members of the committee who said, you know what, we, we can't, we're going to recommend killing this bill because the, the cities are going to lose the revenue. It's all about the revenue. And the other, uh, another stated reason was when we look at the fiscal note of the bill, it would bring in about $39,000 in revenue from licenses because there are 175 food trucks. But the position at the State Department of Health to, to oversee this would cost about $83,000 a year. So they said, oh, the math is wrong. It won't pay for itself. Now, it's a health and safety inspector. It doesn't have to pay for itself. Right. It's a public service that the state's providing to um, make sure that we can get more food trucks and make people happier and make them stay in New Hampshire and help our young people not leave the state and attract new workers to the state, which we need. But that $40,000 a year difference is a, a reason that was given for killing this bill. But of course, when you look at the math on that, the, the state assumes that when you make it easier to license food trucks, you're not going to get any more food trucks. So they assume that we're still going to have only 175 food trucks in New Hampshire, which of course, the whole point of the bill is to incentivize people to create more food trucks. So you would have more food trucks. So it's just one of those crazy things where you can see that um, it gets complicated, it gets into local revenue, and this is why we can't have nice things. Okay, because... so I'm a, I'm a huge food truck fan. I, I yep. thought the movie Chef was a blast with, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, oh, he makes the Marvel oh, see, super movies. That. Oh, you haven't seen it? Oh, you haven't seen it? Oh my gosh, it's, you gotta, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. It's a food truck based uh, movie. No, one of the uh, best John food truck Favreau. John Favreau is the oh, stars yeah. in it, and it's just great. 
I will, however, say that I, I spent my misspent youth working in traditional restaurants and it worked for tips and I, you know, worked hard and, and I loved it, by the way, I had a blast in the yeah. restaurant business. Yeah. And there are people who work in the business, you know, wait staff and cooks and owners yeah. who say, Hey, you know, we pay the ridiculous property taxes. We pay the ridiculous, you know, fees. We do all this, this stuff. We are in a fixed place. We can't go chase, you know, customers where they go. We, we have to bring them to us. And after all that work, some guy pulls up in a, you know, $4,000, you know, uh, whatever, you know, germ covered rig and starts selling right. barbecue sauce out of the back of it. That's not fair. What do you say to those restaurant owners, Drew Klein? Well, two things. First of all, you don't get the right, you don't have the right to veto a restaurant moving in next door or across the street. So nobody has a right to veto competition. If your product is good, believe in your product and people will come to you no matter if you have competition. The second one though is we know from research in other cities that food trucks bring more people. So if you have a food truck downtown out in front of your restaurant, guess what? Over time, that food truck is going to attract a lot more customers to your area and you will have the overflow. So we know this happens in Boston. We know this happens in lots of cities across uh, the United States. When you, when you have a designated food truck area, when you have a downtown that allows food trucks, you get a lot more people, especially in lunchtime, coming out and eating in that area and then lines at the food trucks form. Well, what happens when you see a line of seven or eight people at a food truck? You're like, I'm not going to wait in that line. I, I guess I'll go into this restaurant here. And the local restaurants get increased business. So um, it's just a fallacy that food trucks are going to kill local restaurants. Typically, they help local restaurants. So let me push back on the restaurant. When you say you can't stop someone from moving in next door, I think what restaurant owners would say is, look, if someone wants to do what I have to do and you know, rent a building, buy a building, put in vent hoods, you know, do all the expenses, that's one thing. This guy is competing with me with virtually no investment, and therefore that's just fundamentally unfair. And that at the least there should be some, uh, you know, zoning rules or whatever to keep the trucks like from you know they can't park outside my door or you know what I'm saying. Is it so? Is there is it is it that you oppose any restrictions on food trucks, or do you think we should have smarter restrictions? Or and once again, what do you say to that restaurant investor? I think there is a case to make for certain restrictions. Um, for example, in neighborhoods, um, I personally wouldn't mind have food trucks driving through my neighborhood so I could hail a taco truck, but you don't want to have a situation where you have food trucks, um, you know, uh, parking and forming a long line in a residential neighborhood blocking traffic, right? So there's certain sensible safety regulations there. Um, but preventing competition should not ever be in a regulation. You shouldn't have incumbent businesses able to block competitors from competition by using the law. That is just a, a basic fundamental rule of the market that you don't wanna do. So um, food trucks have certain advantages, but they also have certain disadvantages, right? And so um, it evens out in the end and you should, let, you should never say, well, look, you can't have a food truck parked downtown or, or within 50 feet of another restaurant. Um, that's just, um, it's a bad regulation, but it's also probably unconstitutional and illegal. And those cases are, there are cases from other cities that are making their way through the courts and, and we'll see how those um, pan out. But okay, last should, question. Should do that. Best food truck you've ever hit? Well, I can tell you the best food truck experience I had oh, okay. was a um, taco truck in um, on Plum Island in Massachusetts, the little community airport right right outside the airport there there was a taco truck there 
and you could buy tacos and they were very good and sit there and watch the airplanes take off. It was great. Oh, that is absolutely excellent. I got to tell you, I'm a street meat kind of guy. Whenever I'm in New York, I go out of my way to grab a, you know, a, a, a hot dog or sausage or whatever uh, on the street. And they're, they're terrific. Chicago has these hot dogs. They call Maxwell street hot dogs. And what they do mm. is they, uh, they put them on a grill. They're the grill so that they, they, they sear them on high heat so that the skin starts to come off and it starts to you know, like burn almost like it's got that mm. crusty little burning. And then they have this uh, onion and tomato sauce that they put on it and the sauce gets down underneath the skin of the dog. And it is so, so good. Almost as good as this podcast. Uh, Drew Klein, where can people find your stuff at uh, Josiah Bartlett Center? They can go online to www.jbartlett.org. And while there, they can sign up for our weekly newsletter and um, get all our stuff every week. Did you really say www? I mean, you do know our listeners I, are under the I, age of 95, right? I mean, you... I, I don't I don't know if all of them are. <laughs> yeah. Or you can just go to, go to nhjournal.com. That's the, the place to find us. Uh, thanks so much for listening to this edition of the New Hampshire Journal Podcast. Mm-hmm.